up that says, Welcome to Alaska, the last frontier. Where does one thing end and the next one start? Wherever they say it does. It's the same thing with growing up. One day you're a kid going along like you always do with everything looking the same as it's been, and then something happens to you. This is what happened on the last frontier to a kid named Norman Tuttle. Chapter 1. Lost and Found Not many things come easy when you're 13, but Norman didn't have much trouble falling off his dad's fishing boat. Actually, he was pretty much designed to succeed at just such a thing. Having grown over six inches since Christmas, he found that his arms and legs stretched into territory he was not entirely familiar with. In short, Norman was a klutz. He would grow out of it, his mother had assured him, but probably not before he came face to foam with the black icy waters of southeast Alaska. Norman had come out on deck to answer nature's call, as some say, but he didn't just answer it, he leaped at it. He'd propped his legs against the low boat rail in the dark with his overlong shins, and his feet had simply gone out from under him. His brief few moments in mid-air were spent desperately trying to put himself away rather than concentrating on a graceful entry. If you've ever felt the chill of Alaska waters, you will understand his preoccupation on the way in, and let's face it, there is no pretty way to fall off a fishing boat. Landing face first, mouth open is also no way to prepare for the next step, hollering for help. During what seemed like the eternity it took for Norman to clear the salt water from his throat enough to scream for help, he watched as the boat chugged steadily away in the darkness. Dad! Dad! Uncle Stu! The throb of the propeller still pushed against his body. Dad! Wait! Dad! Dad! Oh, no. Oh, God. Norman tried swimming after the boat, but he stopped once to slip out of his deck shoes, and when he looked back up, he'd lost sight of the single white stern light. He could still hear the prop in the water, but it had no direction. Nothing had direction. The overcast sky was black. The water was black. The shoreline they'd been following couldn't be far off, but it could be anywhere he pointed. There's probably no good time to be in a situation like this, but being in this situation at age 13 has got to be the worst of them. You're too old to cry and too young to swear, and you don't even have much of a life to go flashing past. Norman was stunned, but only temporarily. There's a call for action built into people of any age that comes into play at these times. It's called panic and Norman proceeded to do exactly that. Clawing at the water like a drowning man, and not being too far off the mark, Norman thrashed his way toward what he figured to be the direction of shore. Panic not lending itself to clear thinking, it never occurred to Norman he might be swimming out to sea, which was just as well, because he wasn't. As he made his way along, the adrenaline subsided and his strokes became long and even. He knew he was moving at a good pace now. As he started to think again, the first thing he thought was, This is freaking cold. 
He was already losing feeling in his legs, and his throat was getting a knot in it like he'd just eaten ice cream too fast. I'm going to freeze to death and die, he thought. Then he laughed and, in the process, gulped a mouthful of water. You dummy. Of course, if you freeze to death, you die. And he laughed again. The cold was taking its toll on Norman's mental processes, and just as he was about to let it all sink into a giggling fit that would have certainly killed him, he heard it. Bonk. Then he felt it. Ow! he cried, grabbing his forehead. Although Norman realized that only he could actually find a place to bump his head in the wide ocean, it was the most welcome goose egg he'd ever awarded himself, or ever be likely to. Reaching his arms out in front of him, he felt the scaly surface of a barnacle-covered piling. It was standing straight up and down in the water, and after wrapping himself around it in a grateful embrace, he realized that it wasn't floating. The piling was attached to the earth, Norman was attached to the piling, and for a minute or two life was good again. He panted with relief at the notion he'd swum in the right direction. Norman's thinking was getting pretty sticky by this point, so it took a while for it to sink in that he was still going to freeze to death and die, even if he was in the company of several hundred well-grounded barnacles. Venturing a look up the piling to see what it might be attached to, he saw that it was, in fact, attached to thin air. Only inches above his head, it stopped short of any hope of holding up a building, and far short of salvation. Still, thin air was better than cold water. Reaching up, he felt the flat top of the piling, and using everything he had left, managed to haul his wet hide onto it. While draped over the top, belly down, Norman's squeezed bladder reminded him he had not finished the business he'd gone out on deck for in the first place. It felt warm, secretly wonderful, and tears came at the thought of it. The damp late summer air also felt warm compared to the water, and although Norman was shivering uncontrollably, he managed to sit up straight on the piling and let the feeling come back to his legs. If it had been light enough for anyone to see him, Norman would have been a sorry sight, a quivering creature swaddled in wet wool and mounted on a stick like some toy ready to be brought to life. If you pulled a string at the bottom, he might rise up and wave or dispense a candy. But Norman didn't rise up and wave. He just sat, shook, and worried. He knew that his dad and Uncle Stu hadn't seen him go out on deck. They were in the pilot house drinking coffee and complaining about fish like they always did at the end of a trip. Fish too few, price too low, fish and game regulations too stupid for words. But they found words, hours of them. Norman would usually ignore their grousing and kick a nest into the pile of dirty clothes and blankets on his bunk to curl up in and read magazines, as he always did at the end of a trip. He'd read these issues a dozen times each. It was a real dorkorama of outdated copies of National Geographic and Reader's Digest, everything that piled up on the back of the toilet at home and was eventually shoveled onto the boat. Every once in a while, National Geo would have a cool picture of a tribe from tropical New Guinea, or a short skirt in a street scene in Madrid might cause a page to become marked. 
but mostly the magazines were an exercise in page flipping, something that passed the time until he fell asleep or somebody came back to graciously tell him they were pulling into port. Get your gear on, Norman. Time to unload. Unless one of the men decided to go back and look in on him, they wouldn't know he was gone until they got to town, which was still hours away. They wouldn't look in on him. Norman knew that for sure. Norman was mostly tolerated and largely ignored on the boat. His dad and Uncle Stu had fished together since they were kids. They always did the same things, they always said the same things, and a bashful boy who couldn't walk a straight line on land or sea did not fit easily into their routine. It was his mother's idea to send him along on these few late summer halibut trips. It will be good for Norman, she said apologetically to his dad, who was on his hands and knees mopping up the spilled can of engine oil Norman had kicked over onto the dock while putting his gear aboard for that first exciting trip. It'll be good for Norman. It'll be good for Norman, but what is Norman good for? His dad had snapped back to her. Norman was not supposed to hear that, so it's exactly what stuck in his head and took the fun out of that first trip and every one after it. It was still stuck in his head as he sat on his piling in the dark. What is Norman good for? What is Norman good for? Cold and chattering, he wrapped his arms as far around himself as he could and tried to think of two things he was good for. Well, he was good for chopping bait, but then he was always cutting holes in his gloves, and that made his dad mad. Those things cost money, you know, he'd say, and toss.